All right, so without further ado, uh, let's bring in our guest of honor, an interview I've been looking forward to. Uh, normally, I don't have to bring in reinforcements, but I'm so glad Anthony's here because uh, I need some reinforcements because this is as bright and as provocative and as interesting and as biblically based a guest, I think, that uh, we could have on this show, that combination. E. Michael Jones, uh, welcome to Fearless. I'm so glad you made the time. You're someone I have, I have to hear from. People in our audience have been saying, hey man, you gotta interview E. Michael Jones. Jason, all the stuff you're talking about last week, Mr. Jones, I, I, I or last week or the week before, I talked about how uh, our heterosexual lust is actually the slippery slope that has created all of this sexual chaos uh, that has overtaken America. And people's like, man, you got to talk to E. Michael Jones. He wrote this great book. So anyway, uh, Mr. Jones, if you could first, for just for my benefit, I think a lot of people in the audience are, are well aware of, of you and your background. You're new to me. I've, I've watched some interviews and I'm trying to get myself up to date. But could you introduce yourself to me and the audience and give us a little bit of your background? Yes, yes. First of all, thank you for those kind words. Um, I was uh, grew up in Philadelphia. I was educated at uh, Catholic College here, St. Joseph's College, then Temple University. Then I taught in Germany for a couple of years, came back and got my Ph.D. in American literature and got a job at St. Mary's College and across the street from Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana. And one year after I got there, what was supposed to be a tenure track position, I got fired uh, for being against abortion at a Catholic college. And I thought, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. I kept I go back to Temple and I say I got fired. Oh, why? Because of my position on abortion. Oh, no, I'm against it. I'm against it. Well, you can't get what well, anyway I was. And it gave me an indication that there was something wrong here. And I think what I discovered. What year was, was that? What that year was is that? Uh, I arrived there in 79. I got fired in 1980. So one year later, one year after I got there. Uh, and uh, what, I, what I got during that period of time was there was something wrong with that place. And what happened was the sexual subversion of Notre Dame University and St. Mary's College. St. Mary's College at that point had been taken over by feminists. Uh, I, feminists believe in abortion, uh, so they didn't want me around. And so I decided to start a magazine, which I was called Fidelity. It's now called Culture Wars because I, I, I thought I, I have to figure out what happened here. Is, is this a, am I a victim of mistaken identity? Uh, and it turns out that I wasn't. Something big had happened there. And we're talking about the sexual subversion of the Catholic Church in the United States and of America, uh, specifically at Notre Dame. So what was a big issue before I got there in the 1960s was contraception. That was a big issue. That was a big issue before uh, abortion. And what I discovered over a period of years doing research, going to the Rockefeller archives, was basically that the Rockefeller Foundation was interested in changing the church's teaching on contraception. And they paid Notre Dame to have a series of secret conferences there that uh, were culminated in a statement by all of these theologians that they, they no longer found the church's teaching uh, persuasive. Uh, 
No one knew that the Rockefellers had paid for it. No one knew who was behind it. It looked as if just, well, they all just got down and decided on their own. No, it was a concerted effort to change the Catholic teaching uh, because there were two, two groups that did not fall in line here. One was the Catholics, the other was the Blacks. And the Blacks have been uh, singled out and, uh, by Planned Parenthood in the late 40s with the Negro Project, created by Margaret Sanger to make sure that uh, Blacks stop having children. That was the way they dealt with that. It took about 20 years later before they decided to deal with the Catholic Church, and that's what they did at Notre Dame. So that's how I came to be where I am today. I wrote a book uh, based on those experiences about 20 years later. It was called Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. And what I realized was that this, what looked like liberation was really control. You know, and the the paradigm I used uh, was happened 2004. It happened one year after my book came out, as if to prove me right. But anyway, 2000, my book came out in 2003. 2004, the Israelis arrive in Gaza. It's one of their perennial incursions. Hold for one second. Hold for one second. Hold for one second. I, I want to get there, but I want to get there in proper order, because when you drop that it's going to make me go deep off into that conversation. So okay. let me just hit pause right now because you, you, Libido Dominande is the book that a friend of the show, uh, Kevin, sent me and sent me interviews you've done on it. And it's like, because he's like, Jason, you're scratching the surface. Uh, but this guy, E. Michael Jones, he's gone all the way there and explaining that. But before I get there, because what you're about to unpack about, Israel and Palestine is very fascinating, but why do progressives, why are you so under attack by progressives and the Anti-Defamation League? You've been, you were canceled, it seems, before canceling became a thing. Why is that? Well, you know, you only get flack when you're over the target. So I was over the target. I exposed one of the fundamental control mechanisms of the American empire. It's that simple. Uh, we can go back. The man who understood this was Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley wrote a book called Brave New World, 1933. Very prophetic book. He was connected with British intelligence. Uh, he came over here and was very influential in promoting drug use uh, in this country. Uh, but he said in that book, he, 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 after his book came out, another book came out called 1984. And 25 years after his book came out, he said, look, 1984 is about the concentration camps, about the gulag. It's about using brutal force to get people under control. There's a better way to get people under control, and it's called pleasure. Pleasure is much more effective than force. And that was the key to sexual liberation as a form of political control. So basically what you do is over this period of like 200 years, that book covers 200 years, it begins with the French Revolution. What you had was more and more sophisticated ways of controlling people through pleasure. And one of the main pleasures in life is sexual activity. So how do you, how do you mobilize sexual activity to get people under control? Well, the man who figured it out first was uh, the Marquis de Sade, 
who wrote a book, the, the French Revolution is threatened. And he says, he was also the first uh, major pornographer in Europe. And so he understood the power that pornography had as to uh, uh, enslave people's minds. So he said, basically, we, we got this revolution. We want to keep the revolution going. The Catholics are coming from the West. It's called the Vendée. They want to stop the revolution. We need to spread passion. We need to spread sexual liberation because that will attach people to the revolution and it will lead this forward motion to keep the revolution going against reaction. Now, there was a technological problem at that point because Desaad said, put naked women in the theater and that'll arouse the passions and passion will be the engine that drives the revolution. Well, the problem is if you have a big theater, it's hard to see the women, okay? You got a lot of men, but you can't see the women. If you have a small theater, you can see the women, but you can't see the men, uh, but there are not a lot of people there. This was solved by technology. And basically the technology was, first of all, the camera, and then the motion picture, cam picture camera, and then the use of film in the 20th century uh, uh, as a way of indoctrinating people. And then going beyond that, we now have the internet, and now we have these cell phones where you can, every kid gets a cell phone and media starts looking at pornography. And that's the way this government keeps these people under control. Now, I... To, I get when I when this book came out, everybody thought I was crazy. What are you talking about? This is the opposite. This is freedom. Nine, 2019, you had a generation of young people who were raised on cell phones who were addicted to pornography. And I didn't have to explain to them that they were slaves of their own passions. They knew that. And as a result, they started acting on it. And that's when uh, the NoFap November came 2019, and then Rolling Stone denounced them all as anti-Semites because they weren't watching pornography. Uh, and they said that because pornography has always been controlled by Jews. Okay. To this day, the owner, uh, you probably know this, but the owner of Pornhub is a rabbi. Now, why is a rabbi? Call his name. Call his name so we can fact check that. Solomon, I'm, I'm, I, I believe you, but call. Solomon, just type Pornhub, Solomon, uh, rabbi. Gotcha. Uh, what's his last name? It'll come up. It'll come up because they had articles on this. So why is a, a, uh, why is a man of God involved in pornography? Because the Jews have always been involved in pornography as a way of gaining control over the population where they're always a minority. That that's the issue. That brings it up to date. Well, and it also now also brings me, in the ADL if you want to do that. Well, what I want to do, what I want to do next, but you feel free to do whatever makes the most sense is I want you to walk through uh, I saw an interview and I started looking it up the National Legion of Decency, a Catholic organization that fought Hollywood, I believe, beginning in 1934, maybe. And you unpacked for me how that was basically a war between Catholics and Jewish lawyers who were running and helping Hollywood uh, sexualize movies. Please explain that history. This is, right. I think, in the 1930s. Right. So in the 19, early 20th century, the Jews 
take the motion picture camera. They go to Hollywood where there's a lot of sunshine. They need the sunshine to make the movies. And they immediately start uh, subverting the moral uh, code of the United States of America. And by the 1920s, everyone's upset. Everyone's upset. Uh, and the Protestants, who were the dominant group at that point, decided we got to do something to get the Jews under control. And so he brought in they brought in Will Hayes, who was the postmaster general. He failed. And then in 1929, the Jews go into deep debt to finance talking pictures. And then the stock market crashes. And at that point, the Catholics saw their moment. OK, all of uh, uh, culture warfare in America is between Protestants, Catholics, and Jews. Okay, that's the parameter. And so now the Protestants fail, the Catholics step up to the plate, and they have the advantage because they know the guy who lends them. It's an Italian Catholic at the Bank of America who's their main lender. And he says, I'm not lending you any more money. Well, if you can't roll over your loans at this point, the, the Hollywood is in big trouble. And at that point, the Catholic bishops stepped forward and organized a boycott under the name of the Legion of Decency. And Cardinal Doherty, at that point, who was Cardinal Archbishop of Philadelphia, called a boycott of Warner Brothers theaters in Philadelphia. And it ended up uh, Warner Brothers is losing $100,000 a week in Philadelphia alone. And Harry Warner's crying tears as big as horse turds. That's Joe Breen's statement because he's losing so much money and they're threatening to expand it to every big city in the north where they have large Catholic populations. And so the Jews back down and they accept the production code, which means no nudity, <clears throat> no blasphemy, no ridicule of the clergy and so on and so forth. A lot of it was idiosyncratic. Uh, uh, they, in order to talk about Southern sensibilities, you would never have a black person and a white person in the same frame together. Certainly never a black man and a white woman. You would never have that. Okay, simply that's not a Catholic issue. That's a Southern issue. But they wanted to go and make it uh, amenable to them, too. So for 31 years, from 19, uh, 1934, as you pointed out, to 1965, the Catholics controlled Hollywood. Uh, and the Jews didn't like it and <laughs> never liked it. And at this point, they started they started talking about it right after the war. And then in 65, they saw their moment of opportunity. This is the end of the Second Vatican Council. Everything seems to be up in air for the Catholics. The Catholic uh, Church just passed a statement saying we've got to be friends with the Jews called Nostra Aetate. And the Jews at this point play the trump card, which is the Holocaust. They come up with a Holocaust porn film called The Pawnbroker, and that breaks the code. And from then, within seven years, you had hardcore pornography. Seven years from 1965, you have hardcore pornography in main run theaters. And I'm talking about Deep Throat was the big uh, breakthrough, 72, 73. So, <clears throat> and... I, I, I want to be careful not to go out of order or miss something here, but this is where my mind immediately goes when I, when I watch some of your previous interviews and I see how crystal clear you make your case and call out who you think is responsible. And where my mind immediately went to, I was like, oh, my. so if there's a group controlling Hollywood that had a long-running feud with Catholics, 
Should I be sitting here surprised that Hollywood and the American media have really destroyed the Catholic reputation and church and Catholic priests are known now as the biggest pedophiles in the world. Right. And, and the research actually says in the educational system, the Catholic system is far safer for your children than the regular public school system. There's far more sexual malfeasance outside of Catholic education than inside. But we're sitting here today and everybody thinks every Catholic priest or 50% of them, 40%, I don't know what percent. I, you're not surprised, I wouldn't think, that there seems to have been a concerted effort to demonize the Catholic Church. No, no, I'm, this goes back to the foot of the cross. I mean, I wrote another book about that. It's called The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. But basically, the Jews who accepted Jesus Christ broke out in warfare against the Jews who rejected Jesus Christ or vice versa. They split right down the middle. And that battle has been going on for 2000 years. So, no, I'm not surprised. If you want to bring it up to date on the pedophile issue, I grew up in Philadelphia. Okay. Lynn Abrams is DA in Philadelphia. She's a Jewish lady who is also on the board of the ADL. She does an investigation. She's got, I'm going to look into this pedophilia thing. The only institution she investigated was the Catholic Church. And she came up with a, uh, a grand jury indictment of there 300 priests are accused here and one indictment. So what does she do? She runs the pictures of 300 priests against whom she cannot bring a, a charge. Why'd you do that? Well, because you're trying to discredit the Catholic Church. So fast forward to Harrisburg, which is 100 miles west, and you've got a DA by the name of Josh Shapiro, uh, of also of that group. He does exactly the same thing, and he hasn't come up with one indictment. Now, that man is now governor of the state of Pennsylvania, and he made his reputation by attacking the Catholic Church. So it, it's not going to go away. It hasn't gone away. It's never going to go away until one side wins over the other or when all the Jews convert to, to Christianity. Now I want you to go through that bit of history from 2003, 2004, a con and I went and looked, I saw this interview and I was like, oh my God. I went and looked it up. I saw it written about in the Washington Post, mainstream people or, or media outlets confirm what you're about to say. It's not just E. Michael Jones. But anyway, tell the story about what happened uh, in Palestine on Gaza Strip uh, that you were about to go into earlier. No, it, no, it was, it was, yeah, it was Ramallah. Okay. Ramallah. Ramallah. So uh, the IDF, once again, the IDF invades uh, uh, Ramallah, invades uh, uh, Gaza. Uh, and this time they do something unusual. They take over the TV stations and they start broadcasting pornography over the TV stations. Now, the question is, why would they do that? Now, if, if you're an American, you go to movies like uh, The People versus Larry Flint, Hollywood movie made in the early 90s, or Boogie Nights. And the premise of both of those movies is that pornography is freedom. Okay? 
That's what Larry Flint says in that movie. You know, no one can be free unless I can publish pornographic magazines like Hustler. So we have to conclude then that what the Israelis were doing was bringing freedom to the Palestinians. Well, that doesn't make any sense. So we have to revise this and we have to understand that pornography is according to what they did. Now, the Jews have always controlled pornography. Okay, and what they did was an act of cultural warfare, and it proves that pornography is a weapon. It's a weapon that's calculated to destroy people. Now, how does it destroy you? It deranges you. Now, I gave this speech. I gave it in Europe. I gave it in Iran. I gave it in Washington, D.C. And each time I gave it, someone came forward and said, I was there. I was there when it happened. And it's worse than you said because there were snipers on top of the hospital. And if you came out of your house and tried to talk to somebody about what was really going on, you got shot. So the only source of information you had was television. And the only thing on the television was pornography. Now, this proves that pornography is a form of warfare. It's warfare against the people, whatever people you want to conquer. When, the, when Iraq was conquered, after the America, after they got rid of Saddam Hussein, the country was flooded with pornography. 1974, when Portugal, Salazar dies in Portugal, and uh, uh, the CIA floods Portugal with pornography. That was even written up in Time magazine. This proves my point. Pornography is not freedom. It's a form of control. And so I, I know you've already referenced it, but I, I just want you to unpack it a little bit more about how, how pleasure and man's desire to pleasure himself actually enslaves him. I, I've been talking about it on this show. I've been talking about it about myself. All these issues you're talking about directly relate to me in, in terms of you know, I, I talk on this show all the time and I, my audience gets tired of hearing, but I just want you to know who you're talking to, Mr. Jones, is, you know, I used to love strip clubs. I used to love strippers. I used to, my whole life was built around pleasuring myself. And it took a lot of things to happen for me to go, oh my God, I didn't use the word that you're using, but I came to that realization like, I've been trapped by my sin. And, and my yeah. sin is controlling me and stopping me from living a more productive, honorable, biblically sound life. And I'm paying penalties in terms of, you know, I, I've tried to explain to people on this show all the time, like God uh, sent marvelous women who were, who, I, who were worthy of marriage, me having kids with and the whole thing. And I was so lost in lust and sin that I blew the gifts God sent to me. Right. And, and right. as a 56 year old man, I really regret it now, but yeah. anyway, there's other way, but pleasure and how it's used against us to convince, right. cause it, it, everybody's compromised now through their sexual sin and they can't stand on truth. This is why we can't put a stop to anything because everybody's easily blackmailed through their That's sexual it. sin. But go, go right. I, I want you You're to. Right. Aquinas said, lust darkens the mind. This is the, the biblical reference here is Samson. Samson was the 
man who could he could defeat anybody. But he had a weakness. All men have this weakness. It's called concupiscence. It's called lust. And he succumbed to uh, Delilah's wiles. And what symbolized his bondage? They cut out, they took out his eyes. He couldn't see. He was blind. Milton said, where is your leader now? He's eyeless in Gaza, grinding at the mill with slaves. That's what happens to you when you, when you succumb to lust. You become blind. You didn't see the reality of those women. You, you mention it now, you know. I could have had a happy life with one of these women, you know, if I weren't blinded by my lust. Uh, and that's too bad. I mean, you can't go back and undo the past, but you can't learn from your lesson, uh, from a lesson from the past. And Augustine said, a man has as many masters as he has vices. Now, this is a vice that St. Paul says, all the other sins are outside of the body. This one's inside of your body. That's what St. Paul says. And what he means by that is all pleasure is potentially addictive, whether it's drink, whatever it is, chocolate, you name it. If it's pleasurable, it's potentially addictive. But this pleasure, this desire comes from inside of you. This sin is inside of you. And so when you, you think it's me, like I want that and that's me that wants that when it's really your desires that are controlling you and you can't see it because lust makes you blind. And that's why it's such an effective form of control because it comes from inside. Chocolate's outside of you. Drink is outside of you. Drugs are outside of you, but lust is inside of you, and you identify with your lust. You say, that's me. Look at, look at the homosexuals. That's their identity. Their identity is their vice. It's like me walking down the street and saying, yeah, I'm a drug addict, and I'm proud. I'm a proud drug addict. I'm a proud drunk. I throw up on my shoes every other night, and I'm proud of it. Well, that's exactly what the homosexuals are. They've identified with their vices, and they are being mobilized now as the shock troops to get everyone else under control. That's what's going on. The government, this is the most sophisticated and insidious form of tyranny in human history. Dr. Jones, this is uh, Anthony Walker. I'm a minister here in uh, Tennessee. I, I hear what you're saying about uh, Samson and how this uh, sin, this lust of his caused him to go blind. Uh, I look at that in contrast. Jesus tells us one of the ways to deal with that. You know, he said, if your sin causes you, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. How do you um, how do you help men or what is your advice to men who have struggled in this area, who have been compromised in this area, how do they get out of this uh, loop that they're in? First of all, what, simply saying that it's a form of control got people to stop watching pornography. They've told me that simply by saying that. Now, they're, they're, the, they're the lucky ones, uh, but it's possible. The, the, the good news of Jesus Christ is that it is possible to break the bonds of sin. It is possible to do that. To do it, you have to start at the beginning and you have to avoid the near occasions of sin like pornography. So stop watching pornography. And that will uh, help with this bad habit of masturbation that a lot of young people have. That's a start in the direction. Now, Jesus Christ knows that we're weak. And so we need his help. And I'm saying grace is divine help in, in this regard. 
that we're not just left here alone. He didn't leave us orphans. We are here to get help from Jesus Christ, and we can lead successful lives no matter what type of life you led in the past. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy, okay? We just, I just went through the story with this guy, Michael Voris, who was the big Catholic sensation, and it turns out he, he was a homosexual. Okay, so I was working with this guy. I wrote a book about him, and as soon as I write this book, the Catholics jump on me and say, well, don't you believe in forgiveness? Well, sure I believe in forgiveness, but that's not the end of the story. St. John Chrysostom said, sin is the arrow. If you remove the arrow, you still have a wound, and you're going to have to work to heal that wound. And that's going to take time, and that's precisely what this guy didn't do. He went from gay cruises to Mr. Catholic spokesman, uh, like, overnight, and his past caught up with him, and he fell. And nobody listened to me the first time around, and then he fell the second time around, because that's a really bad habit. Now, I'm saying all lust is a bad habit, but I'm saying if you're a heterosexual, you don't understand how bad the other habit is, because you're not doing it. And how, how that deforms the soul, deforms the soul so that you can't see anything. All that guy could see was his own narcissistic fantasy of himself as the savior of the world. So I'm saying, of course, I believe in forgiveness, but I'm saying you're going to have to work and develop the good habits that you didn't over that period of time because you didn't take, you didn't get into that mess overnight and you're not going to get out of that mess overnight, even with God's forgiveness. You got to work on it. You got to work on it. And the first thing is to eliminate all of these temptations. That's not easy now. I have to work on the internet. The internet is what we call, it was a one big X-rated bookstore because the Jews insisted on keeping pornography on the internet because they know that's a form of control. So I'm saying, yes, I believe in that, but it requires work. Mr. Jones, why do you, and I'm not saying this because I necessarily disagree. I just want to know from your point of view, why do you single out the Jews? Because they got some collaborators who aren't Jews as well. The Jews have controlled pornography from the beginning, and they're controlling it to this day. That's why there's a rabbi who owns Pornhub. You cannot talk about pornography unless you talk about the Jews. We have a crisis here right now, okay, because no one can say the word Jew without getting having the ADL get on your case. And so we now have a situation where people I respect, like Colonel McGregor and Tucker Carlson, will talk about the war in Gaza, and they use the word neocon or neoconservative. That's not the issue. That's a political issue. That's an obsolete political movement anyway. And Anthony Blinken and those people are not neoconservatives, they're liberals. You have to use the word Jew. Sun Tzu said, Chinese philosopher, if you don't know who you are and you can't identify the enemy, you will lose every battle. That is the history of the Catholic Church in the culture wars in the 20th century. Catholics have been robbed of their identity. They don't know who they are, and they can't identify the enemy, and they have lost every battle in the culture wars from 1965 on.
The, the other point you make uh, about, <clears throat> I, I want you to clarify, which you say pornography, some people will hear it and think, because and, and, when, I, when I hear you say it, I, that umbrella's wide. That, that, that's why I've moved away from Instagram and turned it over to guys on my staff, because I'm too tempted by the yoga pants and the booty shorts and all, all of that. Th that to me is a form of soft pornography that they use just to rope you in. It's like you hop on social media. I've been complaining about these T I go to ESPN.com. I'm a sports guy. I play college football. I go to ESPN.com and I get these Timu ads and they're, they're always selling stuff with women in very tight, seductive, form-fitting clothes. It's uh, everything is some sort of sexual reference. Even most people wouldn't call that pornography. I do. I'm wondering if you do as well. No, no. I think you're talking about no. modesty. No, I'm talking about you're talking about modesty and clothing. I, I had this experience when I went to Iran for the first time. Uh, the, the New York Times reporter came up to me and said, well, what, what do you think about uh, Iran? And I said, the first thing that popped in my mind was desexualization because the women there all dressed in chowders. And I just came from Chicago. I got on the plane in Chicago and I got before I got on, I was there was a 10 story high photo of a woman in her underwear. And it didn't even I didn't even think about it. We have become desensitized to the violation of modesty that women have become accustomed to. It's that simple. But I would not, that's not pornography. Pornography, to be specific, pornography is the depiction of sexual activity. So I, I wrote a book called The Dangers of Beauty, where I deal with the whole realm of art. In Italy, during the 20, during the uh, Middle Ages, uh, Renaissance, that period of time, when they started getting very specific about painting the nude, painting women with no clothes on. Uh, that's not pornography, but it led to pornography before long because it was heading in that direction. So it's not pornography. Art is not pornography. And you have to make that type of distinction. Pornography is the depiction of sexual activity. Now, the main villain in my, uh, my understanding right now is Twitter or X. Now, why do I say that? Because you can go on there and suddenly you get hit by pornography when you're looking up something else. This is something, that Elon, if you're listening, please change that. Okay? I, 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 we all suspect that the ADL controls Twitter, uh, even though Elon has stood up to them. But you can prove, uh, Elon, that you do not, uh, you're not controlled by the ADL if you simply remove pornography from Twitter. Now, I thought they did this early on, but it hasn't been the case. And you can't know in Twitter uh, whether you're going to be assaulted with pornography or not. You just can't know it. Dr. Jones, I, um, I just recently did an event uh, with a lot of college students uh, and high school students, uh, probably about 400 of them. And um, I'm trying to get out information as a minister to young people because I know that they are bombarded with all of these depictions of, of sexual things and everything. And so I happened to ask them about TikTok. I was like, I said, you know, do I need to put these messages on TikTok? And most of them, thankfully, were saying that they don't do TikTok 
because they can't control what they're going to see next. And right. some of the stuff is, as you've pointed out, it is what we might call, you know, you may say is just kind of a modesty issue. Uh, but I could look back to, you know, I'm an art major in, in, uh, in college um, and I went to a Christian school. I didn't start seeing that kind of stuff until I'm getting to college because I grew up in the era before social media was really, uh, right. you know, a thing. So now when it is such a thing, I mean, they're getting it via all of these social media apps. And this is what they're on, the modesty stuff to the to the nines. You know, how are they going to combat that in this world? Jason would say we got to go back to being Amish, you know, but but how do we how do you see that as a, a to combat that? Because they're bombarded with it. OK. The main look, the main if, you, if you're going on the Pornhub, you got no one to blame but yourself. So don't go on the Pornhub. That's really stupid. OK. But if I'm going on Twitter to find out what is happening in Germany, because there's a huge farmer strike going on in Germany right now, it may topple the government. This is important. If I'm going on Twitter to, Germ to find out what's happening in Germany, why am I being assaulted by pornography? Why can't Elon do something about this? Okay, so to get back to your young people, Okay, do you want to be a slave or do you want to be in control of your own life? Do you want to have a successful life? The, the, the fundamental thing that you are you as a 20-year-old are faced with is whether you're going to get married, find a woman who will uh, settle down with you and start your life for real and have children. If you watch pornography, you are not attractive. I guarantee you it will have an effect on you that will make you uh, turn you into Gollum, that creature in uh, Lord of the Rings. That's what you will be like. Uh, and do you want to be that way? Or do you want to have a successful life? You've got to make a decision right now because you're not going to be 20 years old or whatever it is for the rest of your life. And you may wake up one day and, and have that regret like, geez, that, that, I wonder what it would have happened if I had married that woman. That's not, a, that's not a situation you want to be in. And I, like you, I'm probably I'm older than you. I'm older than both of you. Uh, so I grew up in a world <clears throat> that where this didn't exist. And I, I could see it coming. 1967, I could see it coming. 1969, I got married. I was 21 years old and my wife was 20 years old. And we've been married for 50 some years now. OK, and believe me, I was spared a lot. I was spared a lot. Uh, because marriage protected me. Marriage protected me in a way that I would not have been protected if I were on my own. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that. And so that's what I'd, I'd like to share uh, with people. You know, it's possible. There is one recipe for the broad swath of mankind and the recipe for happiness. I'm not saying for everyone, but for the overwhelming majority of human humanity it's marriage. That's the way to salvation. That's you've got a bond with another person that you have sworn to, and you're going to be true to that bond until you die. And at that point, okay, you're dead. And then God can take care of you. 
But that's what holds, and, and I'm saying that's what holds our society in place. And I'm saying the Jews know this. And they have spent their entire time here in the United States of America undermining the moral fabric of the American people. Don't ask me. You can talk to other people who think this way. I, I get it. And, and I can't say that I, I disagree, but I'm just, aren't you letting Joe Biden and a lot of other politicians, left and right, off the hook? Because they know what you know as well. I mean, anybody with common sense can see the moral decay overtaking America and everybody just keep, let's keep going. Let's go further and further, drag queens in schools and bring your kids to watch a drag queen gyrate first in front of them. First of all, Joe Biden is not in charge of the government. This called Biden's menu. You can look this up too. There are 457 Jews who are running the Biden administration. They're the people who are in charge. Okay. So there's no point in talking about Joe Biden. We have to be able to identify these people and we have to call them out and hold them responsible for it. I'm going to take this, especially if you're black, because the blacks have suffered more in this regard than, other, than any other group in this country. And I'm talking about the beginning of this with the Harlem Renaissance, which I've written about in detail. The Jews took over the blacks early on. They created an institution called the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Okay? Now, there was some, this was created for one reason, and that was to destroy Marcus Garvey, who was the great black nationalist from Jamaica. Uh, in New York at this time. And they got this guy, uh, W.E.B. Dubois, or Du Bois, or however you want to pronounce it, <laughs> Harvard guy, uh, and he was the front man, so that when Marcus Garvey went to NAACP headquarters, he walked in and he said afterwards, I didn't see one black man there. It was all Jews. The Jews had taken control of the black population. They destroyed black nationalism under Marcus Garvey. And then they created this plantation for black people uh, known as sexual liberation. It was called jazz. It was called the Harlem Renaissance. It was always some Jew determining how you were supposed to be as a black man. And they all the way up to Kanye West. I, I don't know what you saw, whether you saw that, probably everybody saw it, but Dave Chappelle gave that great monologue on Saturday Night Live, and the whole punchline of that was, put your chain on. There was a profundity to that, okay, because there is a chain. That's a, it's a golden chain, but it's still a chain. And, and Kanye made a lot of money, but he could only make the money if he had that chain on. You know, because they can yank that chain, whatever they want. And they did that to Kanye. They did it to Kyrie Irving. They did to a lot of people. And what you saw was you can't step over that line. You can be a, a rich black guy with a lot of gold around your neck. But there's one thing you can't say. And that's what he said. The Jews. You can't say it. You know, you're not allowed to put those two words together. That was a profound statement on the part of Dave Chappelle. Mr. Jones, you are fearless. You are fearless. My God. And I know there'll be some people. We're like, how are you going to let this man? 
The man is speaking facts, and, and I know the intent of what he just said, and I got no problem with it, bro. You, you were both Thank image you. bearers. Uh, wow. I, <laughs> you said, let me ask one last question before I let you go. And, and I, I got a little pet phrase, be quick, but don't hurry. Uh, but take your time. <laughs> I've been making this argument that uh, heterosexual lust, that we front, we fronted it, we centered it, we sold every product in the world. We showed Carl's Jr. hamburgers with women in bikinis simulating lesbian sex. And, you know, we just, every movie you turned on, there's some sex scene that doesn't advance the narrative of the story. Just everywhere you went. Sex, 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 heterosexual lust, everywhere. It's in the music now, rap, R&B, rock and roll, country. Sex, 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 heterosexual lust. And I'm arguing, and, and obviously you're a truce, you're gonna say whatever you think, <laughs> clearly. Uh, but I'm arguing that our heterosexual lust, so front and centered, that there's an equal and opposite reaction to that and that's why the LGBTQ feel so comfortable centering their sexual lust that we are actually the beginning of the slippery slope. Heterosexual lust is what opened the door for all of this. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think what we, in order to make that clear, I think we have to talk about a generational change. Okay, now what does lust do to you? Let's say you're the father. It weakens you. What is the cause of homosexuality? It's the distant, absent father. It's father deprivation. And so what you have here is a group of the next generation comes along. Dad is out of commission. He's not the man that he should be. He's not the power you know, that he should be the example that he should be because he's weakened by lust. He's weakened by Playboy back in the 50s, whatever it is. And the result was that he's distant. The, the result is that he's distant from his children. And when you child perceives that the father is distant and the mother is dominant, he becomes a homosexual. That's the cause of homosexuality. It's not genetic. That's the cause. And so a natural consequence of the sexual liberation of the 1960s would be the homosexual uh, liberation movement of the 70s and 80s. It follows like night from day. Uh, thank you, brother. Uh, hopefully we'll have you back. If uh, the show hadn't back. been thank canceled you. after this. Thank, <laughs> thank you for thank you for having me. The point is that we have to have discussions like this. Otherwise, we yes, are we all do. going to go down the drain. And that's why you're doing a service to all of us by allowing this type of discussion. And I'm thanking you for it. Thank you. Where, where do you live? What city? South Bend, Indiana. Oh, all right. I'm, I'm in Indianapolis. We're going to have to get you to Nashville so we can do like three hours. But thank you so much. Thank, I, I thank really you. love this. Thank you. Uh, that's E. Michael Jones. And, oh, boy. Uh, 